Brothers and sisters, welcome to this morning's worship service. We especially welcome any visitors who have joined us this morning, also those who have joined us via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel, and may God be praised and glorified by our worship. Consistory has the following announcement. This morning, Brother Plater will lead the worship service. Before we commence this worship service, let us sing Psalm 100, verse 2 and 3. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Let us rise for worship. As we enter the gates to sing praises and to worship our God, we do so confessing that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And God greets you this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us continue our worship and sing from Psalm 149. Verses 1 and 2.
Let us now humble ourselves before the covenant law of our God and where he lays out how we are to live before him and also as we look into his law we see also a mirror by which we see our sin, sinfulness. Let us hear God's law as it comes to us from Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And the Lord Jesus Christ summarized the law in this way. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And he said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Let us now sing a psalm of confession. We'll do so with the words of Psalm 130, verses uh, verse 2.
we just sang together, but you will pardon fully all our iniquity, that we may serve you truly and fear your majesty. So having full confidence that God will forgive us in Christ, let us also now draw near to his throne of grace that we may receive mercy and his grace. Let us pray. O Lord God in heaven, you tell us that we can come before your throne with confidence. You call us to come because you will abundantly pardon. But Lord, when sinners like us come before a holy God, we we feel anything but confidence. Isaiah, when he saw your awesomeness, when he saw your holiness, as he saw you sitting on, on your throne, he cried, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And Lord, this is what our conscience does. It accuses us. We, we see our failings. We think back to this week. We think to the things that we've said, the things that we've done. We even think of what's happened last night or even this morning. And Lord, we see our failings and our conscience accuses us. And yet, Lord, you tell us to come before you with confidence. Not confidence in our own righteousness, but confidence because of the righteousness of our Savior. For even though Satan accuses us, even though our conscience reminds us that we are completely unworthy to enter into your gates, to sing praises to you, to be in your presence, we come because you spoil us with forgiveness, Father. For Lord, out of mere grace, you... You give to us the perfect satisfaction, the righteousness and holiness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, your forgiveness in Christ is so final that it's as if we've never had any sinful nature to begin with. It's as if we were the ones who lived perfectly. Well, that is how whole and how complete you pardon us. Oh, Lord, we praise you for this. We thank you that we can come into your presence with the host of heaven and worship you. That we can join in the whole of creation in singing your praises. And Lord, as we leave the the busyness of our lives, may you calm us now, O Lord, into quietness that, that heals and listens. Father, open wounded hearts to the balm of your word. Speak to us with clarity so that we may feel our, our spirits leap for joy and skip with the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning it's my intention to preach God's words to you as it comes to us from uh, Genesis 44, where we continue um, our journey through the book of Genesis, especially as it relates to the story of Joseph. So last week we paid attention to Genesis 40, where 42 I should say, where we where we dealt with the first journey that the brothers made to Egypt. And now we come to the second journey. So we'll read Genesis 43, and then our text will be Genesis 44. And you'll find that on page 43 of the the church Bible. So Genesis 43... Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had bought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. 
But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man. A little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sack. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the men and may he send back your, old, your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. And they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The men did, the man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we were brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sack and, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought, it, brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they had washed their feet and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke, is is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father is well, he is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face, came out, and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. 
and they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of, the, uh, any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with them, with him. So far from Genesis 43, let us now sing Psalm 78 verses 14, 15, and 16.
So last time we, we went through uh, Genesis 42, which there we saw that the brothers' hearts were uh, awakened to their sin and the, the guilt of what they had done. And that was also part of the reason why we sung Psalm, Psalm 78. Uh, and here in, in chapter 44, we will see uh, how this change is truly expressed, that these are different men. So let's read together Genesis 44. We'll read together the whole passage, and this will be our text. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words, and they said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servant to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sack we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from, uh, from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and, and we also will be your Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack. And he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divin uh, divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are, your, we are my Lord's servants, both we he, and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. And Judah went up to him and said, O oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in, your, in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we, then we will go down. For we cannot see the men's face unless your, our youngest brother is with us. Then your servants, my father, and your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left, 
me and I said, surely he's been torn to pieces and I've never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servant will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now therefore, please... Let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. So far the word of the Lord, may he bless it to our lives. After the preaching of the gospel, we'll sing together from hymn 48, verse 2, 3, and 4. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, of all the many works that God does in our lives, probably one of his greatest work is what he does in the hearts of his people, in transforming our hearts and in changing our hearts, replacing hearts that that beat for sin for hearts that beat for him instead. This is actually what our confessions say. They talk of that the work of God, his recreation in our hearts, is not inferior to his work of creation. So what God is doing in our hearts is not inferior to the work that he did when he created the world. And this is what he does. He transforms us. He transforms us so that we move away from the sin that separates us from him and instead pursue him. And this is what repentance is all about. So in Ephesians 4, the apostle describes the life of sin. He says that when when we live in sin, our minds become darkened. And in our ignorance, we're we're alienated from God. And then what happens as we continue in, in sin, our hearts become callous. And we live lives characterized by whatever we please and doing whatever we want. But then Paul continues and he describes what life looks like when we are transformed by God's grace. He says that what happens is we put off the old self and we stead, we put on the new. When we've learned Christ, when we've experienced Christ, when we believe in him, Paul says that we're created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So repentance is a transformation of the heart. It leads to restoration, it leads to peace. It leads to peace not only with each other, but also with God. It brings us back to God and it brings us back to each other. And this is what God is is busy with in the lives of the brothers here in our passage before us. So God uses Joseph's wisdom to work repentance in the brothers. And what we need to note is that while God is at work Restoring the brother's relationship with Joseph, ultimately what he is doing is he's working in their hearts to restore them to himself. Because the brothers had not only sinned against Joseph, they've sinned against God. And their sin against Joseph meant that their relationship with God was hindered. 
And so they cannot live in peace with God unless they, they, unless they repent. And so this is what he does. And this is the truth also of, of conflict in our life. Is that it doesn't just damage our relationship with each other, but it damages our relationship with God. And so in our text, what we see is our God, he graciously, he changes the hearts of his people. He works repentance to make peace possible. And that brings us to the main message for this this morning service. God changes the hearts of his people, making peace possible. And we'll see three things. Firstly, we'll look at the prior signs of change that God works in their hearts. And then we'll also look at the probing test of change. And then finally, we'll look at the profound evidence of change. So firstly, then the prior signs of change. Now, some of you may have seen the videos by Ray Comfort. So Ray Comfort, he's a Kiwi street preacher. And one of the things that he often does, he goes to people and he talks to them about the commandments. And then another thing that he does is he often speaks to people about abortion. And he gives them a a bunch of questions. And he tries to change their mind about how horrific abortion is. And in an interview... Uh, you, you can see this person who is totally for abortion suddenly switch after many questions and discussion. They, they have this 180 degree turn where they go from someone supporting abortion to someone who's completely against it. Now, although God works dramatically in our hearts, what we see in our text is work of repentance in the lives of Joseph's brothers don't happen so quickly. The brothers don't wake up one morning completely different men. They don't wake up uh, one morning, they do an interview, and suddenly they change. They don't experience this 180 degree change. But what we see is that God's work in their lives is progressive. It's ongoing. God's busy with them. In chapter 42, we saw already that God had awakened their conscience to their sin. Finally, after so many years, they actually recognized what they did. They saw their sin for what it was. Their hearts that had been cold to the cries of their father and also to the cries of their brother finally cried out and said, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. They saw that they stood guilty before God. They had godly sorrow. As we see in our passage, this sorrow leads to repentance. They weren't just sorry because they got caught. They weren't just sorry because their sin found them out. No, they were sorry and it led to a change of heart. And we see prior signs of that in in Genesis 43. We see that God is, is transforming them and changing them. So if we think back to their, their first trip in Genesis 42, it wasn't very successful. They went to Egypt, and then what happened, Joseph commanded that cinnamon, cinnamon, Simeon be detained and kept back because they were accused of being spies. And if they were to make a return trip, Benjamin had to be with them. But Jacob refused to release his grip on his youngest favorite child. If Rachel's last son was killed in an unfortunate accident, just like what had happened to Joseph, we read that Jacob would go down to Sheol. He would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Without Joseph, without Benjamin, life for Jacob would just be a living Sheol. It would be a hopeless existence 
devoid of any joy. But in verse, but in verse 43, well, verse 1 of chapter 43, we see that they had to reconsider their options. The famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again and buy a little food for us. And of course, this meant that Benjamin had to go with them. And it's in the words that Judah speaks to his father that we see, we see prior signs of change. To ease his father's fear, Judah offers to become Benjamin's guardian. He says to them, he, he says to him, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. I will be a guarantee of his safety. It's an incredible statement coming from Judah. The last time Judah was a spokesman for his brothers was at the pit in Dothan, where they sold Joseph to slavery. It was there that Judah became a spokesman and he hatched the plot to sell Joseph into slavery. He said to his brothers, if you recall Genesis 37, it says, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Also, if we think of the last time Judah pledged anything, he pledged his belongings in Genesis 38 to acquire services of a prostitute. But here, we see him seeking the good of his family and speaking up for the good of his family. And unlike Reuben, his brother, who, who told his father that he would give his sons, no, Judah doesn't pledge the life of his two sons. He pledges his own life for his brother. You see, God awakened their conscience to their sin, and now we see that they're endeavoring to do what is right. Now maybe you think to yourself, okay, we see some change. But before we speak too highly of the brothers, they still haven't confessed their sin. Not one of them have come to Jacob and said, Dad, you know in Dothan what happened to Joseph, what we told you? Well, this is, this is really what happened. None of them have done that. And you're right. None of the brothers have confessed at this point. None of them have actually told Jacob what had happened. But this can't overshadow the change that God is working in them. In our text, there are signs that the brothers are putting off the old self and that they're, they're putting off on the new. You see, it wasn't a complete turnaround, but things were definitely turning around for the brothers. You see, his, God's work here is gradual. It's ongoing. It's a process. And it's the same for us in our lives. God's work of restoration in our lives is a process. He awakens our conscience to our sin. We feel sorrow for our sin. And then he brings us to a point where, where we call to him for forgiveness. And then what we see is he then works a desire in us so that we endeavor to live for God and live for him and also reconcile with each other and recon be reconciled to God. And this should give us patience with each other and also with, each, with ourselves. You see, sometimes we can, we can get frustrated because all we see is small signs of change. Sometimes we're hoping for something drastic. We're hoping for a big turnaround in our lives, but it doesn't always happen. 
Or maybe you're looking for a turnaround in someone else's life. You're looking for someone to repent. You're looking for someone to come to you and ask for forgiveness, but you don't see that. And so you think to yourself, well, that, they're truly not repentant. You know, they haven't changed one bit. But brothers and sisters, let us not despise the day of small beginnings. Because when you see signs, even small signs of change, whether in your own heart or in the heart of someone who sinned against you, or even in the heart of someone that you're walking alongside of. That is a reason to rejoice. Because that sign, that small sign is a change of, is, is a sign of God's work. His change in their life. For what our God starts, he, he completes, doesn't he? You see, the brothers, they hadn't come to a point where they confessed. But they were certainly different people at this point. And see, God's work of transformation may, might not always happen the way we like it to. But that doesn't mean He's not working. And that He's not working in us, transforming us. So God is working transformation in the hearts of the brothers. And what we see is that God, again, uses a test. And that brings us to our second point, the probing test for change. Because this is what the brothers, well, this is what Joseph was really looking for. He was trying to answer the question, had the brothers changed? Were the brothers different people to the men he had met at Dothan so many years ago? And if we think about it, if Joseph just revealed himself, that question wouldn't have been answered. If we think about the brothers, they were completely at the mercy of this Egyptian Lord. And if so, Joseph revealed himself and said, look, I am Joseph, I am Lord of Egypt. The brothers at that point would have done anything just to save their skin. And so there would have been a facade of remorse. There would have just been a show of remorse. But Joseph wouldn't have really known if they've changed, if their hearts had been transformed. And so we see he probes their hearts again. So in the beginning of our text, we can imagine, uh, in chapter 44, we can imagine the brothers leaving Egypt quite happy. Relieved and happy with themselves. Mission success. After Joseph's lavish hospitality, they were returning home with food in their bellies, with food in their, in their sacks, and with the same number of brothers that they had when they left for Egypt. So things were looking up for them. But then suddenly they, they hear sirens, they see the flash of red and blue lights in the revision mirrors, or rather they, they see the Joseph steward in a chariot. And he comes to them and says, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is, is it not from this that my Lord drinks and by this practices divinations? You have done an evil in doing this. So first they had been accused of being spies and now they were, they were accused of stealing Joseph's silver cup. So the text when it says, when it talks about Joseph practicing divinations, you see in Egypt what would happen is they would put water in a, in a clear goblet and they, they would look in, into the goblet and see and look for signs of the future. I don't know exactly how that worked but somehow they saw signs of the future and so they they divinated using, using water. Now God, we read of later in, in Deuteronomy, he, he forbid this kind of divination and this kind of sorcery. 
And so we shouldn't conclude from here that Joseph had become so Egyptianized that he adopted this practice as well of, of divinating and of using sorcery. Rather, what we see is Joseph is trying to heighten the seriousness of what the brothers had done. He says to them, do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? He's not saying that he is, but he can. He's trying to heighten what they've done. They've stolen something very important. And what we see is immediately the brothers, they plead their innocence. They plead their innocence not knowing that the sacred vessel which they had stolen was in the mouth of of Benjamin's sack. And they say, whichever of your servants is found with it shall die and we also will be my Lord's servants. They say this to demonstrate their innocence. And so they lower the sacks, they open it up and the official starts looking. He starts from the oldest and he works his way to the youngest which is like what happened when they were sitting at at Joseph's table. They had been lined up from the oldest to the youngest. And with that, they open Benjamin's bag, and there's the culprit. It's Benjamin. And then we read, they tore their clothes. And we should not let that be lost on us. The brothers tore their clothes. They were deeply concerned about their brother. It was gut-wrenching for them. That Benjamin was the one who had the, uh, the cup in his sack. And with that they return to the city. They stand before Joseph. And as the steward had said to them moments earlier, Joseph tells the brothers, he says, I'm not going to punish you, all of you, for the sin. I'm only going to punish Benjamin for the sin. Benjamin would remain a slave while the rest of the brothers, they could go off innocent and could return home in peace. You see, congregation, this is the ultimate test of their character. Joseph had recreated the the crime scene of Dothan once again. We saw that already in the first test. But here, Joseph is driving it home. This time, it wasn't just for money. This time, it was for their very freedom. Here, they had an opportunity. They could forsake their father's favorite son, the beloved son. And they could return home again without him. And they could have their freedom. All they had to do was give up their youngest brother. And so once again, they had the option of letting go of their youngest brother to be a slave. And so what's happening here is everything is leading up to this point. The test about the spies, it was to expose their hearts. And now Joseph is essentially saying to them, when push comes to shove, who are you brothers? Will you happily forsake your youngest brother like you did so many years ago? Are you going to pursue those patterns of sin that you've been living in? And so this is the moment of truth. And then we see Judah speaks up. And in his pleading request to Joseph, we see a profound display of God's work of change in the hearts of the brothers. A glorious evidence that they had truly become different men. See, God had used this test to work repentance. And we see profound evidence of this. And that leads us to our third point. Now notice, brothers and sisters, Joseph said to them that they could go home innocent and in peace. And those are two words that come back in Genesis 37. 
where they were guilty for their brother's blood. And also it speaks of peace, which comes back time and time again, where the peace in the family home had been shattered. So you have a word, innocent, which spoke about shedding blood. And then you have peace that had been shattered in the home. And Joseph says, if you do this, you can go and you can be innocent and you can, you can go off in peace. But we, re- but we all know that they were far from innocent. And we know that it certainly wouldn't lead to peace. They were far from innocent. The brothers' actions had devastated the family home and had shattered the relationship so much so that remember, the brothers could not speak peacefully to Joseph. There was no peace. And even look at their father, Jacob. He is wallowing in sorrow, in mourning. This would not result in peace. No, this would lead to tension. It would lead to heartache, to sorrow. It would continue to fracture this home. But then once again, Judah, he speaks up as a spokesman for the group. And what we read in verse 18 onwards is this impassioned plea. A moving plea. And in it, it's filled with affection for his father. It's, it's filled with affection for his brother. And more, it's filled with a sense of, please do not do this because it will bring my father to his grave. The whole speech is also filled with language of, from Genesis 37. Notice how Judah describes Benjamin as the boy. He describes him as the son of his father's old age. He describes Benjamin as the beloved son. And that was all language that was used of Joseph. Remember, Joseph was the boy who was a, ser- who was a shepherd servant with his brothers from the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. He was the son of his father's old age. And constantly we read in Genesis 37 how Jacob loved Joseph. So you see what Judah is doing here. He recognizes that Benjamin is the Joseph in this situation. And, and Judah would not l- let the past reoccur before his eyes. He was not going to let ha- what happened in Dothan happen again. This time he was going to do everything in his power to protect and care for the son of his father's old age. The, the, the boy, the well-beloved son. See, this is a changed man. Congregation, here we see that that Judah didn't just tell Jacob, look, I'll take care of the boy just so it can get some food. No, here we see a man so changed by the gracious power of God that he goes from a man who spurned his brother, who spurned the favored son, and who even conceived of his downfall. Now we go to a man who instead of spurning his brother is pleading for his brother. And he's pleading for his brother out of love for his father. That is transformation, congregation. And what is more, Judah doesn't just plead with Joseph to let Benjamin go. No, he offers to stand in Benjamin's place. He offers to be his substitute. He says, now therefore please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant, as a slave literally to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. We read that in verse 33. Take me, my Lord, take me. Take me instead of my younger brother. So brothers and sisters, here Judah is sacrificing his freedom for the sake of his youngest. 
And what is striking here is that the word instead of has already been used in Genesis. And the word comes up in Genesis 22. The story where Abram is told to offer his son Isaac. And if you remember the story, Abram goes up, he goes to offer his son Isaac, and just before he, he's about to lay his hand on his son, God calls out to Abram. And then we read in Genesis 22 verse 13, And Abram lifted up his eyes, and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his, thorns, by his horns. And Abram went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. In that passage, the ram was a substitute for Isaac. But in here, our passage, Judah is the substitute. He is the one that is, is offering himself instead of his brother. Judah is pleading on behalf of his youngest brother that he would stand in his place. You see, we have no idea what Joseph thought was going to happen with this test. We had no idea what he was hoping for. But whatever he thought was going to happen, there was no better outcome, brothers and sisters, than this. That not only did his brothers stand by Benjamin, but they pleaded for him. And then the one, the brother who hatched the plot to sell Joseph into slavery, that same brother is the one who now offered himself to be a slave. Creation, it's a profound display of God's work of transformation, his work of change. God was bringing them to their knees in repentance so that they could live in relationship with their brother once again and so that they could live in relationship with him. Because their sin had been a barrier in their relationship with God. God was transforming them so that it would lead to a change and it would lead to faith. And we see at the same time that our God was graciously restoring peace or shalom in Jacob's home. And as we will see later on, we see that the brothers are reconciled. We see that peace is restored. And this is all made possible. This is the point here. This is all made possible by the powerful change that God works here in our passage. The powerful change that God works in the lives of his people. You see, there's no doubt now in Joseph's mind that the brothers are different. These are different men. And that change made peace and reconciliation possible. And in that, in Judah's pleading, we have a beautiful picture of our Savior Jesus Christ. You see, Judah was not the promised one who would give his life for his people. He was willing to give up his life. But he never had to, nor, nor could he. While he stood before the throne for the sake of his brother, ultimately it would be God who would stand before and, and save the brothers. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the, this world, not to be enslaved instead of us, but to die instead of us. He was willing to experience hellish agony, to be sub, subject to the just punishment of the King, and to save a sinful, rebellious people. Indeed, Christ's love is far greater than um, Judah's love for Benjamin. Judah's greater son, Jesus Christ, he, he bore the sin and the punishment that Judah and the brothers couldn't have carried. He, he bore the sin that we couldn't carry. He was willing to enter this world not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. 
You see, our God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, to be sin instead of us, in our place, so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might be innocent before God, that we might have peace with God. See, at the cross, he was pierced for your transgressions. He was pierced for your iniquities. God put on him the punishment that was to fall on all of us. And, so, and God did this so that we could be in relationship with him. He did this so that we could be members of his household, members of his family. You see, God is at work in your life, he, convicting you of sin, humbling you in, with your unrighteousness so that you might live in relationship with him. As we mentioned earlier, the brothers' sin against Joseph wasn't just a barrier to their relationship with the brothers, no, it was a barrier in the relationship with God. Their hearts grew callous towards Him. They were alienated from God. And so here we see that God is graciously convicting them so that they might be at peace with Him, so that they might be recreated in His likeness and in His image. And so brothers and sisters, where are you at with this? Maybe even as you struggle with, with broken relationships, do you see your own sin? Do you see the, the, own way, the, the ways in which you've contributed to the situation? Because that's what we have to ask. We have to ask, how is my sin not only affecting my relationship with others, but how is my sin affecting my relationship with God? Are you humbled by your guilt before God? Because it's easy for us to minimize our sin and to look at others, to excuse ourselves and to justify our actions because of what we've seen that others do. But God is calling out of, us out of that. And the reason why he's calling us out of that, because so long as we continue to live in unconfessed sin, we cannot flourish in our relationship with God. God desires to have a relationship with you, brothers and sisters. He desires that you might stand innocent before Him, that you might be at peace with Him. And He's just demonstrated that by sending His Son to die on the cross for you. He's demonstrated that by giving a substitute so that you can be at peace with Him and so that you might be part of the household of faith. And so if you're unwilling to confess your sin, you cannot experience that. You cannot experience the peace. So the call in this passage is to repent. To repent of our sins. To believe in Jesus Christ and know that he will graciously recreate you after his likeness. So that you might walk in the footsteps of your Savior. God is transforming you. And to, and to be transformed, we have to confess our sin before him. But then also what we see is that by transforming our hearts and, and changing our sinful inclination, God also enables us to live in peace with those who have hurt us. You know, it can be so hard to forgive, brothers and sisters. And you know how it goes. You know, you forgive them in your heart but then you continue to harbor bitterness towards them. We can say we're over it, but then any opportunity that arises where we can gossip about them, that's what we do. Or even when God brings us to a place where we desire to forgive someone, it's still hard. 
We can, we can really struggle to even think positively about that person. And indeed, if we continue to live according to our old nature, this will always be impossible. But it's only when we put on the new nature, through the transforming work of God in our lives, that we are able not, to, not only to be at peace with God, but also to endeavor to be at peace with one another. Because it's the power of Christ that transforms us. To live, not only to love God, but to love our neighbor. It is the gospel that empowers us to pursue unity in the bond of peace. It's the, it's the gospel that compels us to not let the sun go down in our anger. It's the gospel that enables us to be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. This is what Paul writes. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And then he says, therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as his beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Congregation, this is what God is busy with in your life. He's busy transforming you, shaping you, so that instead of harboring sin and living in sin, in unconfessed sin, that we are awakened in our guilt like the brothers, and that we confess our sin before God so that we might live in relationship with Him, that we might be at peace with Him, that we might stand innocent before Him in the blood of Jesus Christ. He is changing your life so that you might be at peace not only with him, but also with each other. And by his spirit, you will do this. And by his spirit, you can do this. Amen. Let us now sing in response hymn 48, verses 2, 3, and 4.
come before God in prayer, and in our prayer this morning, we'll remember the death of Jamie Brosma, and we'll pray for our brother and sister Shane and, and Donna Brosma, and also our sister, brother and sister Wally and Leonie Tenaf as they, they mourn this loss, and also for the extended family, and, and also the friends who are, uh, who are touched by this as well. Let us come before God in prayer. Dear God and Heavenly Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we, we thank you that you have sent a substitute. That you have sent the Passover lamb. We thank you that we are sprinkled by his blood so that your punishment and that your vengeance passes over us. We praise you that he died in our place and he did this while we were sinners. For Lord, it's thinkable that a person would die for, for someone who's good perhaps even for someone who's pretty decent. But Father, Lord, we see your righteousness in that you're willing to die for sinners. Lord, Judah was willing to die for his brother, or willing to be a slave for his brother, but you show your love for us in that you died for us while we were sinners, and that you reconcile us to you, that there is peace and that we stand innocent before you, because of the blood of Christ. We thank you for our substitute. We thank you that you are busy in the most unlikely of places. Lord, no one would have thought that the brothers would have changed, but they did because of your transforming work in their life. And Lord, this shows us no one is beyond you, that no one is too far gone. So that means that while there is life, there is hope that, that people can change. Even the hardest of hearts can change and beat for you. And so we pray that you would work that, that you would work that change. Father, we also bring before you the, the death of Jamie Brolsma. Lord, we pray for the Brolsma family. We pray for our brother and sister Shane and Donna Brolsma, as well as Wally and Leone, Tenaf and the families. Lord, our hearts break for them. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem right for someone so young to to pass away. And yet we know, Lord, that, that you numbered Jamie's days, that they were all written in your book, every, every one of them, even her death. And we praise you that her pain is gone, that her suffering is ended, that you welcome her to heaven with the words, well done, my beloved child. You have run the race and now you're home. Lord, we praise you for the hope of the resurrection. We thank you that Lord Jesus, you rose. For Lord, if we had hope in this life only, we, we would be of all men most, most to be pitied. But we thank you that we believe in a resurrected Lord. And that's a sure sign of our glorious resurrection. And Father, we know that she leaves behind many friends and also family. We pray that you would you'd be with the family members and also those who are friends with her and others who loved her in the church. Surround them with your steadfast and your constant love. May you assure them of your faithfulness. May you show your kindness, your grace to them. Father, we also think of our other brothers and sisters in the congregation who mourn the loss or continue to mourn the loss of a loved one. We pray especially for the Sigurds family and for the widows and the widowers in our midst. Father, you know the pain and the hurt. You know the sorrow that they experience from doing life without their closest friend and without their loved one. 
And Lord, we know that all the sorrow and all the hurt would, would go away if you, if you would just say it. But Lord, even when you don't, may our hope be in you alone. Help us to cling to you. Help us to trust you come what may. For Lord Jesus, you've said that we would not be orphans in this world. You will not leave us by ourselves. But rather, you have sent your spirit so that you surround us with your presence constantly. And Lord, we pray too that these families would experience your presence and your goodness through the arms of the congregation, that we'd be a hand and a foot to one another. So Father, we bring all these things before you with, with heavy hearts, knowing that you are a God who cares for us, and so we can cast our burdens before your throne, knowing that you'll hear us for the sake of Jesus Christ. Father, we also bring before you the Canadian the work that is done at the Theological Seminary. We pray that you would continue to bless the work there as they, the professors train young men to, um, to preach your word and to preach the gospel of reconciliation. Well, Lord, we pray that you would equip them to not only give them knowledge of the faith and head knowledge, but that they, you would work in them so that they know it in their hearts, that they would come out with hearts that burn for you, that burn with a passion and a zeal, that they would be gripped by the gospel and so being gripped that they would be able to grip others as well. Father, we, we also thank you for the fact that our sister Sandra Dingle and her husband can be here. Lord, we thank you that she can be here worshiping with us and in our midst. Lord, this is a sign of your goodness to her. Father, we praise you so much for this. It's been a long time uh, for her. We, our sister hasn't been with us for a significant time. And we thank you that she is here worshiping with us. We thank you that she, again, is able to experience the blessing of being gathered with your people and, and beholding you and worshiping you. And Lord, we thank you for your goodness to her as well. Father, we pray that you continue to bless us in this, uh, the rest of this day of worship. We ask that you would hear us in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. As mentioned, the offering is for the Canadian Reformed Theological Seminary. And as you do so, remember the, the words of Proverbs eleven twenty four to 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. And after we'll sing from hymn 80, verses 1, 2, and 5.
Receive the blessing of God and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.